Hi everyone, and welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Sophia Simonello. And I'm Nick Rookrout. And today we have a very special episode. We will be celebrating the 20th anniversary of the Best Picture winning musical, Chicago. I'm very excited to talk about this one today, but we are not alone. We are welcoming back two of our favorite guests from the drama podcast, Connor and Dylan McDowell. Welcome back. Hi, guys. Hey, drama. Drama. What's up? I am so thrilled to be back. Last time we recorded together was like maybe the best five hours of my life or however long we did. Yeah, Connor, I agree. It was so much fun. This one feels a little less pressure than last time, maybe because it was our debut on, you know, getting introduced to your audiences. But I need to say, for the record, Oscar Wilde listeners and followers are so amazing and devoted. We got so many new followers and comments from y'all's community which was really cool it's true and unexpected so shout out to y'all that's so great to hear yeah so you were on last time for west side story and that was also like in the current oscar race so there was a lot of pressure i think there too to talk about that movie and yes what we thought of it as a remake of not only a broadway musical but of a best picture winner so i feel like today right we already know how chicago turned out we can have even more fun we somehow can. than we did last time. And I also need to, you know, go back on something I said on that recording and sort of like <laughs> strike it from the record. I was really a big fan of Rachel Zegler at the time, but now she annoys the absolute hell out of me. And I'm wondering what delusional like spell I was under last holiday season because I don't know what the future of her career looks like, and I'm I'm glad she didn't get nominated for an Oscar. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I Connor's come in hot. You know, she did win the Globe, <laughs> for whatever that's worth. Oh, right. Well, so did Renee Zellweger for Chicago. Wow. There you go. That's the tea, yeah. <laughs> I have even more cracked things to say as this goes on, so just... <laughs> I, I really can't wait. I think before we get into Chicago, though, we usually ask our guests this at the end of our episodes, but... We would love to hear like what you are wild for right now, specifically any movies that you've been seeing, anything like that. I would be remiss not to say that Tar has changed my life over the last couple of weeks. Mm. And I know that it's we're in good company here, so I don't want to beat it too much. But it was maybe the best cinematic experience I've had in ages. And I think it is just like the most perfect movie <laughs> I've ever seen. Kate Blanchett <laughs> is everything. And the music, oh my god. It was just, I'm wild for Tar. And I'm also, I know y'all aren't the biggest Marvel people. I'll leave this to Ryan Lamb. But Wakanda Forever is the best Marvel movie (laughs) they have made since maybe Endgame, which was the end of their third phase. They're now in the fourth phase. And this movie was so good. Mostly because they weren't messing around with um, the multiverse. I don't know how familiar you are all with this. Mm. But basically nothing matters because there's the same version of everyone in another universe now. But there felt like heavy weight implications on this because Chadwick Boseman obviously did pass and they didn't mention the multiverse or anything like that. So it just felt more grounded and the implications of some of the themes felt really timely, as did the first movie. I'm also wild for Tar, but I have to say I saw After Sun starring Paul Meskel and I think he's like a true leading man. Mm -hmm. He really is. I think there's a lot of potential there for what could come in the future. Maybe a future James Bond. I'll just leave it at that. Wow. 
Yeah, and, I'm, and because of him, I've fallen into the Phoebe Bridgers um, multiverse. <laughs> Wait, I feel like we need to stop saying multiverse, but um, and I'm randomly obsessed with her 2017 album "Stranger in the Alps," which is so good. It's so good, Sophia. I feel like you're a you I'm love a her, Phoebe right? Stan. I love her. I've seen yeah. her a few times in concert. She's incredible. Also, a fan of Tar. Phoebe Bridgers loved Tar. There it is comes full circle incredible yeah. incredible yeah <laughs> what are you guys wild for well i guess you talk about it every week <laughs> i mean i'm still wild for tar i saw it again mm-hmm. this weekend i took my mom to see it she also loved it so tar has really just consumed all of my energy and attention and it's still my number one movie of the year but i did love the fablemans a lot yes. Ooh. Which that you'll be talking about that next week. Yeah, right? I'm yes. absolutely mm-hmm. wild for the Fablemans. I want to go see it again and again and again. Michelle Williams kills it. She is my new mother. I don't know if maybe for Oscar Wilde's new mother too. Um, add her to the mix. <gasps> oh my god! No, okay. Lydia is our mom. No, Lydia is our father. Michelle can be our mother. Oh, right. yes, that's right. That's right. Of course. <laughs> I love that. I was supposed to go yesterday morning, but randomly canceled my reservation. AMC A-list. I'm really quite flaky with it, but, <laughs> you know, that's how it goes. It is. I'm also wild for the White Lotus, but anyway, we can move on. A true New York relationship. <laughs> Seriously, I know. I think then let's just go right into Chicago. So this is famously also an iconic Broadway show. We'll get into some history about that, but did you all first just everyone here did you see it on stage or on screen first connor and i saw the screen version but it was in it was when you could still get netflix dvds delivered via mail so it was like in that era we didn't see it in theaters we were maybe a little young because we're we were yeah we were under we were under 10 when it came out but um (laughs) yeah yeah. not to date us or age us in any way but we're all around the same age. But it was during the same era where we were really falling in love with musicals. And so every birthday or Christmas, our relatives would just buy us cast albums or soundtracks to movie musicals. And this was one of them. And for whatever reason, Connor and I were, we really were obsessed with it, in particular the song Nowadays, which is the finale. But we wouldn't see the movie for a while and did not connect with it at all when we saw it. I think it was too gritty for us. We were so into like the glossiness of Wicked or things like that that we didn't, and Hairspray was around that same time, that we didn't necessarily fall in love with Chicago until later. And then we didn't see the stage version until it was one of the first musicals we saw after the Broadway returned after the, the lockdown. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. So mm-hmm. a little bit later, but not the Very Erica much. Jane, not the Erica Jane one. Sadly. sadly no. Not. Sad. If I could go, if I had a time machine, Sophia. <laughs> <laughs> I actually go to 2007 to see Lisa Rinna and Harry Hamlin, oh, yeah. but we'll get into that later. Yes. <laughs> I saw it on screen too. I haven't seen the stage version, and I really want to. Wait until a celebrity um, you're a fan of steps into it. Who's it right now? It's the Angelica Ross Pose. is the first trans actress to play Roxy, and um, I think there, there's no celebrity through the holidays because they know it's going to just sell. But in January, February, March, I'd say look out for some big names. Possibly Erica Jane again. It was supposed to be an Asian actress named Ryoko, and she has done it before, but she had a back injury, and so she had to drop out. So now it's just Charlotte Dembois, who has done it many, many times over the years. She's sort of like, whenever they need someone to step back in, she'll come in and fill in for a few weeks. Yeah, I'll keep you posted. This was my second time watching the movie, but yeah, I didn't see it when it came out either. I was also very young, not really into the Oscars yet, or not following it consistently every year. 
But I think this accounted for quite a resurgence in musicals and movie musicals too, which we can talk about a little bit and Rob Marshall behind it and what he's done and how this plays is his first movie. Actually, I think it's really surprising. This was his first movie. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Truly wild. I mean, it's incredible. It's it's, yeah, I'd say he peaked. Yeah. He was a. Uh, he really came out swinging, and then. Mm-hmm. I mean, Into wow. the Woods was one of the worst mm-hmm. film movie musical adaptations that he did, and it's just. I mean, I suppose the material didn't lend itself as well to screen as Chicago did, but I do like his eye for things, and I love his choreography. And he choreographed mm-hmm. this too, the movie, which wow. is great. Yeah. What about Rob Marshall's Nine? I've never seen it. This is a total blind Damn. spot for me. Is that Damn. crazy? Oh, you would love it, Connor. <laughs> you need to watch it. It's I, like so bad it's good. I've heard that. I mean, Kate Hudson has an iconic performance, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she does. Be Italian. Cotillard. Yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis, obviously. Yeah. 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 Okay, I'm going to watch it. I also saw the movie first, but I didn't see it when it came out. I saw it. Years later, Netflix still does DVDs. What? <laughs> if you ever want to subscribe to them, you can still. Do Gosh, that. the the way that you could like rip off the easy seal and oh, it was mm-hmm. it's sort of like going to the library. You know, it's like this good feeling. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, how did the discs not get damaged? They would. <laughs> They're, in... <laughs> They're in like these little paper mm-hmm. sleeves that come in the mail. That's how I watched all that jazz for the first okay. time. Because it wasn't on streaming anywhere, so I did the Netflix. That's so cute. DVD. I love that. Anyway, I saw the movie much later as I was sort of going through my best picture winners. I am a big fan of Bob Fosse, too, so I feel like this is definitely one that I felt the need to cross off. This was going to be yeah. an easy, easy recording today. I think we yeah, all yeah. like the movie, which is good <laughs> yeah. news. Um, but then I saw it on Broadway in 2015 when. Nene Leakes played Mama Morton. Wow. (laughs) And it was an experience. It was like my grad school friends and I came to the city from Vermont and saw a bunch of shows and Chicago with Nene was one of them. Was it your, did you encourage the crowd to go see it? Well, I had to see Nene. Yeah. And a couple of my friends hadn't done like any Broadway shows before. So I thought Chicago was a good like oh, early sure. one. It's always like Chicago or Wicked, ones like that I feel like are good to see on Broadway first. And I just, I had to see Nene, what she was like on Broadway. And what she would do is when she would sing and she was supposed to hit a big note, I feel like I might've told you guys the story before, but she would lean back and open her mouth and the chorus <laughs> would fill in. No. Yes. We did rush tickets, so we were in, like, oh, the wow. front row and could see everything. Do you know who else was in the cat? Like, any other names or... You know, I don't off the top of my head. I know in 2015, head, Christy um... Brinkley also did it. It's so rare that they'll, like, stack it with celebs because they want to just hit each niche audience for, like, six weeks and then move on. Did you like the stage show, Sophia? I did not like the stage show as well as the movie. Yeah. I'm, I'm aligned with you there, for sure. Yeah. I found it to be sleepy, which is weird. I don't know why. Maybe it was because it was a Saturday matinee and everyone was sleepy, but something was <laughs> off. Something was off when I saw it, for sure. I remember thinking it was also a tad sleepy. Something about the energy that's in the movie and that feels very kinetic mm-hmm. was not there. I think that in the movie what works is that you do have that Fosse influence of cutting back and forth between musical numbers on 
these great set pieces, the stage, and what the life is like, like in the jail or when Roxy is talking to Billy Flynn, something like that. You get good moments where you're going back and forth that keep you really engaged, I think. And the Broadway version just doesn't have that in Mm -hmm. the same way. It's all just whatever musical number is taking place in front of you Mm -hmm. at all times. Nothing's really there to switch it up. Totally agree. And I also think that with the way that this revival that has lasted so long is staged is it was originally a concert in New York City Center encores. Like, have you have you all ever been to New York City Center up in like 55th or 56th? They basically will do these like weekend runs of musicals, but they'll do them more bare bones. And so the 1996 revival, they were all just wearing black. They had the the bandstand on stage and it was just very, very simple and it was such a smash that that's why they transferred it to Broadway. More recent examples would be that Into the Woods that is now on Broadway was a city center concert. And this parade with Ben Platt might be coming in next year. It's another example of that. But mm-hmm. it's it's was more rare at the time. And so it just stayed. It's so cheap to run with, like, you know, just stage blacks and this, everything's on stage. It's not a set. You know, there's just some small props and small, like, chairs that might come in. But it doesn't feel like as big of a Broadway musical as Phantom or Wicked or things like that, which I Mm -hmm. think the original from what I've read about was very, very set inclusive and panels would come in and the costumes were more period than this. I mean, I think we all just believed that the stage blacks look period because everyone's just, you know, it's, they're just all wearing them, but you know, they're not really wearing what they might've actually worn in a women's prison, (laughs) you know, whereas I think the film captures it better with those Colleen Atwood costumes. It's so crazy that the Broadway show is still running, but I think, Dylan, to your point, it's because it's so cheap. Mm-hmm. It's like cheap running costs, and they can, and then they have the budget to bring in celebrities or stunt casting, which, you know, people get so, like, up in arms about it, but I think it's, like, kind of a fun aspect of it because the show itself is about celebrity. It, it's about exactly what they're doing to bring people in, keeping them entertained. So I kind of like it. And I mean, plus the original production stunt cat had a little stunt casting moment too when Gwen Verdon was ill and had to step out of the show and then Liza Minnelli went in for like, I remember learning about that on the Fosse Verdon television program starring new mother Michelle Williams as Gwen Verdon. Um, and that show really taught me a lot about Fosse. <laughs> Is that insane? Because it was like mostly fictionalized, but... <laughs> crazy but there was like one or two episodes devoted to chicago on that series no i like that series i learned Mm -hmm. that there too weirdly (laughs) like stuff from that show has really just stayed in my mind like everything with anne ranking too just yeah and then anne margaret and then anne originated roxy (laughs) in the revival that's now on broadway to this day she wasn't supposed to they had wanted another big name no one's ever really gone on the record with who it was supposed to be but Anne ended up having to do it because she had recreated the Fosse choreography for the revival. She, you know, she's one of the foremost teachers, or was. Um, she passed a couple of years ago, as you all mentioned on your mm-hmm. All That Jazz episode. Well, in the, the Broadway show itself, right, The I believe the 1996, so it originated, the Broadway production opened in 75. Mm-hmm. So that's the Bob Fosse version, directed, choreographed by him. And then the 1996 revival, that's the yeah. major one. Does it still hold the record, right? It still holds the record for longest running musical revival? It does, it in does for history? musical revival and Crazy. for American musical. So the only musical that's run longer is Phantom. Oh, that's mm-hmm. interesting. Which is a British import. Yeah. Soon Phantom will be gone. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, do you think Chicago's going to mm-hmm. last? Or do you think it's going to peter off kind of like Phantom had to go? Because that was a shocking thing for them to leave. And is this purely COVID-related? In terms of Chicago, it's it's a mystery to me. I mean, the producers, the Weislers that do it are so wealthy. I mean, it's not to say that Andrew Lloyd Webber isn't, but I think... It's just, it's such a popular show. It feels like a Broadway classic. You know, like, you think about what you could see on Broadway. It's one of those, like, five shows that comes to mind. Tourists who come in to New York, they're like, oh, let's see a show. Chicago's probably something they've always been curious about or want to see. And it's entertaining. I mean, I mean, I waited so long to see it because I knew it was always going to be around, you know? So, I don't know if it has the staying power especially in these uncertain, you know, COVID times that we're in still randomly. Um, Dylan, what do you think? I think it's going to be around forever, like cockroaches and share. (laughs) 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 Because the theme of, like, as you mentioned, Connor, the theme is very much celebrity and sensationalism is always going to be part of it. And so we're always going to be moving on to what's the next best thing. And people want to see their favorite stars on stage. So it's just going to continue and continue. It might downsize. It might move to a smaller theater. I mean, it's already in a kind of a smaller theater, but I do think it's going to be around forever because the Weislers who run it are rich, 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 and they will keep doing it for as long as they can. (laughs) I never think about anything like that. So this is all really helpful. (laughs) Pre-pandemic, Chicago was filling like barely 65% of their theater per performance, which it's a cheap show to run, but that's not good. Like, you're not making money back. Like, it was in trouble. It was really in trouble. So uh, there was a lot of discussion during lockdown about, like, can it survive when tourism won't be back to what it was? And that, you know, the the statistics of, like, when tourism will be back to what it was pre-pandemic, it keeps getting pushed back, back, back into the mid-2020s. And even later, which, wait, are we in yeah. those? Oh my, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> Are we almost a hundred years away from when Chicago takes place? Mm-hmm. Yeah, hypothetically, almost. Yeah, that's crazy. Two years, right? Yeah, that's so weird. So okay, I, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know this was a true story, and that's what this is all based off of. We're talking about Maureen Dallas Watkins, basically creating the story. She created the play that was later adapted into movies and musicals, and eventually this movie that we get. Has anyone seen the Ginger Rogers Roxy Hart or the original uh, Cecil B. DeMille produced silent film Chicago? No. I have not, but the second I read the Ginger Rogers was in a 1942 version, I was like, I need to acquire this somehow to watch it. Um, Especially because it's a different story Mm -hmm. altogether. Roxy in that version is accused of murder, but she doesn't commit it. And that's just all because of the Mm -hmm. Hays Code. And what you could show and what you couldn't. So I'm curious what a Hayes Code version of Chicago yeah. looks like. Wow. You know, I have not seen either of those either. But I love the idea that Gwen Verdon saw that Ginger Rogers version and then was obsessed with bringing it to Broadway. And we see that. I mean, the, the mm-hmm. number of times that Michelle Williams as Gwen Verdon in Posse Verdon said, Chicago, Bob, over and over again. I mean... <laughs> She's not even credited, though, with having been sort of the one who wanted to bring it. It's always Fosse, which just goes along with the legacy mm-hmm. of it all. Oh, for sure. Yeah, because there was all of this legal trouble around acquiring okay. the rights from Watkins. 
But yeah, I feel like Gwen Verdon, she had the idea, but Fosse gets the credit of getting the rights when Watkins right. died. That was when they finally went oh. to him. And then it does have that Fosse like cabaret feel, I think, to it because Candor and Ebb are also involved in the musical score and the book. So yeah, it's I love like hearing about how these things happen, especially with Fosse oh, yeah. Verdon. I feel like I'm always just like I mm-hmm. want to know what's happening in that world in particular. <laughs> I know. I need to rewatch that series again. It <laughs> yeah. was, like, so good. <laughs> Remember the clip of Michelle, like... <laughs> Wiping her tears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be me when we finish recording today. Just feeling very sad that it's over. <laughs> Michelle will mm-hmm. keep coming up somehow. <laughs> oh, she will. Well, and you both mentioned, like, how... This show and the movie is so much about celebrity and how important that is. And I think it's so interesting that housewives, specifically real housewives, have wanted to be in this particular show and how a lot of reality stars are just welcome to do this show on Broadway. It's almost expected that if you are a TV star and you want to be on Broadway or if you want to see a TV star on Broadway, you go to Mm -hmm. Chicago and even pre Fosse. People talked about this play and the subject matter as being all about the celebrity criminal. Mm. And many Real Housewives are also celebrity criminals oh now. God. Jen Shaw is um, Roxy Hart. But she'd be more of a Velma. <laughs> mm-hmm. She's a Velma. Maybe even a mama. <laughs> oh, she'd slay. <laughs> You're so... I mean, Jen Shaw is the living art of Chicago. For real. Literally, like... Being guilty of a crime, pleading not guilty, and still having the the gumption to be on a reality show where she's hypothetically showcasing her entire life and pleading not guilty. It's crazy. Art imitating life, but it is life. It's it's wild. It's so wild. Jen Shaw, I mean, and then we have like Erica Jane who literally played Roxy, and then she's in a fault, maybe not of her own, involved in, you know, these criminal <laughs> charges pressed against her husband and the Jardy Keys law firm. And ultimately, wait, remember that season when it was like her and Rinna and all they did was talk about Chicago like the entire time and playing Roxy? That was wild. That was really something. And she was she was upset. It became a plot point in the show that she was mad that Tom didn't right. go see her on Broadway. Neither did Garcelle, but that was hashed out in the in the reunion. Yeah, I think the the idea of Housewives, it just fits it completely. It's people who, you know, will put their dirty laundry on display for fame. And I mean, granted, in the musical Chicago, a a lot of these women maintain their innocence by saying in Cell Block Tango that it was a murder, but not a crime, which I think is so interesting of like this, what can exist in the same universe. And the only character who maintains their innocence and actually was innocent is is the Hanyak character, who is the one who ultimately pays for it, whereas everybody else seems to get off because of Billy Flynn. So things have not changed, I guess, much since 1925 or whenever these crimes and the murderesses were rising to popularity. Which I learned from the Drunk History video. Have any of you seen this Mm-mm. too? Uh-uh. This is really funny. It's Comedy Central. It's on YouTube, but based on the real story, there was this woman, Sabella Nitti, who is this Italian immigrant, who is that Hungarian character. And she was also famously not guilty and was hanged. And apparently Maureen, the journalist, got courts to include women on juries because of this. 
wow. Like they used her passing to promote justice, which I thought was really, really interesting. The theme of women being behind this the whole time is so cool. Like that and in the impact of that, like Maureen being the original writer, women actually being at the core of the story. Gwen Verdon wanting to make this into a Broadway musical and being the driving force. Like, I think that's all just so amazing. Now, when are we going to get a, you know, for my Summer House fans out there, Hannah Burner <laughs> and Paige DeSorbo as Velma and Roxy. They can alternate every other performance. You Lindsay know. will be Mama Morton. Oh, would, Lindsay would be kind of fun. Lindsay's, Lindsay could be Roxy, though. Yeah. I, think. Just, yeah. I was going to ask you guys, which housewife, Bravo Liberty reality star would you want to see in chicago Mm. i'll rattle off some we've already had as you mentioned erica jane she played roxy hart january 2020 we had candy burris from the real housewives of atlanta playing mama for three months in 2018 Mm -hmm. mimi leaks played mama in 2015 when i saw her in the best version i think we have lisa rinna playing roxy in 2007 and harry hamlin was billy flynn like you said connor (laughs) Harry so Hamlin, funny. not just Harry. Right, Harry exactly. Harry Hamlin. Harry Hamlin. <laughs> Personally, I really think that Ashley Darby would be amazing as Roxy Hart. Absolutely. Oh, from, that's really From Real good. Housewives of Potomac. But if we're Her leaving TikTok Housewives... videos. She already can dance. Right. If we're leaving can, Housewives... Can they all sing? Can any of them sing? Some of I mean, some yeah. of them can carry a tune. You know, enough Le- to do this show. Yeah. Lisa Barlow, bar legend, recently sang on a choir audition episode of Real Housewives of Salt Lake this week, and it wasn't terrible. <laughs> it was like giving choral. It was away in a manger. It was really something to <laughs> behold. I mean, if you look up Erica Jane, Roxy Hart, she's been such so thematic during this episode. I apologize. She actually sounds good because of that. The way that the Candor and Ebb score kind of works is that it can be kind of talky and jazzy and mm-hmm. it, it just really, I think it suits Erica's voice actually really well. But that's why I think a lot of the celebrities will step into the role of Roxy versus Valma who sings, I mean, she belts during I Can't Do It Alone and Cell Block Tango. But if we're not, you know, going back to your question, Sophia, if we're not talking housewives, I've, I also maintain that Michelle Visage from the Drag Race universe would be a great mama, Morton. Mm. Oh, Oh my god, I was going to say the detox would be a good Mama Morton, but I think (laughs) she would. would. Michelle Visage would be really good too. Detox would be amazing. Wow, I need that. I'm trying to think of fun ones. Well, they'll stunt cast everybody though. I mean like Amos is maybe the only one who hasn't really been stunt cast. I know that one of the actors from The Sopranos played Amos at one point. Um, I forget which. Oh my god, fun. Yeah, and then the while Mama was played by the gr- woman who, the actress who plays Tony Soprano's sister. Oh. oh Aida no. or Ada, Aida, or however you say her name in real life. Yes. They were in it at the same time. It was like during the height of Soprano's fame. Or oh, maybe fun. later. Oh my God. Maybe later. But like they'll, they'll even suncast Billy Flynn and Todrick Hall played it, which is, I think he's too young, but. Billy know. Flynn is a, a weird role. Mm-hmm. I feel like. We'll get to the Richard Gear of it all. Yeah, yet. we will. Definitely. Nick, do you have anyone? I know you're not a Housewives no, person. Yeah, I, I get all of my Housewives info from you three specifically. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just here to take it in. I'm waiting for, I don't know, to get addicted, I guess. <laughs> it's a book. We'll world. always help you figure out where to start. 
Okay. <laughs> I think the most obvious though is Countess Luann playing uh, someone. How can we not? Here. Yes. Well, she said oh she was supposed God. to be in it. I mean, she was on she air said... saying that. <laughs> I can't believe they included that in the reunion footage. That she's like, did she lie or was she just mistaken or did it fall through? I so think many she, options. <laughs> I think she was probably mistaken and then lied about it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh, man. Uh, well, Karen Huger could be a good mama as well. For sure. Oh, yeah. For sure. Definitely. It, it's so crazy to think about, like, all the, the legal trouble that the, the housewives are in anyway. It's 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 really a direct transfer. <laughs> I agree. It's also sort of like, you know how, do you, have you made it when you appear on Dancing with the Stars? Or have you sort of are trying to research your career? It's like, you know, people will step into Chicago maybe after their fame has passed. Like, I know Ashley Simpson did it. Wayne Brady, mm-hmm. who does everything. I mean, he's always on everything. He has played Billy Flynn. Mel B from Spice Girls did it. Billy Ray Cyrus. Like, it's, you know, people who maybe are more C-list can step in just to, like, you know, it's, like, on the necessary checklist of ways to keep your career afloat. I wouldn't be surprised if Melissa Joan Hart tried to do it at some point. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Oh, my God. What about, like, What a random reference. Oh, she she would be in her renaissance. That would be amazing. (laughs) She would be great. The low, low, the low Hannahsons <laughs> that we're in right now. <laughs> I'm all for it. People forget oh, she's yeah. worked with like Robert Altman, Paul Schrader, Nancy Myers. I mean, the list of great directors. Jamie goes Lee on Curtis. On. Oh, sorry, not directors. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Britney Spears, I think, would have been interesting at some point in her career. Mm. The definition mm. of you know tabloid culture, but I don't think she really is interested in performing as much anymore. Mm. So. Although she did have the Elton John duet, but Mm. I digress. Maybe this would be better than that. Maybe. I think so. Okay, on to Chicago. Description here. Two death row murderesses develop a fierce rivalry while competing for publicity, celebrity, and a sleazy lawyer's attention. It's directed by Rob Marshall. It stars Renee Zellweger, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Richard Gere, Queen Latifah, John C. Riley, and more. This won six Oscars. Best Picture, Supporting Actress for Catherine Zeta-Jones, Film Editing, Art Direction, Set Decoration, Costume Design, and Sound. And it was nominated for seven others, including Director for Marshall, Actress for Zellweger, Supporting Actress for Queen Latifah, Supporting Actor for Riley, Adapted Screenplay, Cinematography, and Original Song for I Move On. I think leading up to Oscar ceremony night, we had a lot of precursors that kind of assumed this was where the night was going especially for best picture we had sag ensemble and then also actors and supporting actress and then we had a lot of other guilds we had the editors costume designers sound editors dga and pga and it was also nominated at wga but all the others were winners so i think it was clear that chicago was winning picture this was a split year oh that's so interesting to me I know, me too. I was like, wait, this is, I feel like I'm listening to an episode all of a sudden. I know. I'm like, we keep going. (laughs) Did you not know about like the award season stuff? I'm not saying that I did beforehand either, but I think it is interesting to look back and say like, okay, so this happened and not just like, why did Chicago win? Like, how could it win over the pianist, which was the director split, but it's also like, where we are politically and what's going on in the war, like the Iraq war was going on. So 
there are a lot of different factors, but I think seeing all these precursors made it like very clear that it was a favorite. What was the big, what was its big rival that year? Well, what's interesting about this year is it's a major Miramax year. So we'll bring Mm. up Michelle Williams more than Harvey Weinstein this episode, I promise. Uh (laughs) But if you look at the five best picture nominees, we had Chicago, Gangs of New York, The Hours, The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, and The Pianist, four out of the five are Miramax. So this was sort of Harvey's domination, one of his years at the Oscars. And it had a few rivals at different places, but I would say like the pianist was the big rival because that's where Polanski won director after, you know, everything that had gone down there with him, Adrian Brody won actor, even though Daniel Day Lewis and Jack Nicholson, like these two vets had gotten precursor love. It ended up going to him. So that was sort of the, I would call it like the artistic film that people thought about that wasn't the like flashy movie musical. And then you had the hours. I mean, that was a really big player to Nicole Kidman winning best actress. Um, and that kind of being, I think another favorite in the like adult drama space. But yeah, I mean, this, this race was all about Miramax. And I think at the beginning of award season, people thought that gangs of New York might be the one that could take some of Chicago's Oscars away. But then as it went on and as people responded to that movie and as voters responded to that movie, it was just sort of nominated in a lot of places and Chicago was winning awards. Personally, I don't like Gangs of New York, so I'm happy with Chicago's wins over it. Yeah. And Chicago's a nice, tight, under two hour musical. It's fun. I actually read that it's one of the shortest best winners, at least over the last 20 years. Moonlight, I think, is a minute shorter. Wow. Um, I know this episode is about Chicago, ultimately, but it is interesting to see what else is is nominated. And I remember all I really knew about this award season, like through, you know, when I really got into Chicago, once I saw the film and was getting into musicals, was Catherine Zeta-Jones' win for supporting mm-hmm. actress like I that's one of those things that just stuck in my mind forever I think I thought of her as like this really prestige actress who was giving like amazing performances all the time and was like one to watch so then when she ended up winning a Tony for a, a little night music uh, I forget what year that was but maybe like 2010 or 11 I think it was 2010 um I remember being like oh my god she's gonna EGOT <laughs> 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 I I'm interested, though, on the topic of Best Supporting Actress, that Meryl Streep was not nominated for The Hours. And that's crazy to me because that's probably in my top three favorite Meryl performances of all time. Mrs. Dalloway, y'all. She slayed. I think there are a couple of problems. They didn't really know where to run her. She was in lead for most of the season. And then we had the Nicole Kidman performance there, and she has like the more transformative role. She's playing a real person in Virginia Woolf. But I agree with you. Meryl is incredible in the hours. One of my favorite Meryl performances, probably just right after Bridges of Madison County and Sophie's Choice. I Oof. think those are my other yeah. favorite Meryls. Um, and Kramer versus Kramer. She has so many good ones. But yeah, I mean, getting in for adaptation, like Meryl, we have a Meryl performance, but Meryl Streep in the hours has one of the great performances of the year. And for me, certainly the performance of the movie. I also famously love Tony Collette, but that wouldn't be the leading performance in the hours. <laughs> she, I mean, Tony Collette does deliver in every single moment 
that her face is on screen in the hours. Right? I mean, if if that were a tone... I think we talked about this with you guys but via text or something, but if, if the hours were like a stage show, the Tony Awards is they will recognize performances for, like, one scene. Like, you know, mm-hmm. there's even been winners who have had, like, nine minutes of stage time or, you know. So I think Tony could have been nominated for a Tony in, if it, in a different world if, if we were going under Tony Awards standards. But anyway, back to Chicago. Thank you for humoring <laughs> me about the hours. Well, it wouldn't have been the shortest nominated performance at the Oscars either. If it were nine minutes. I don't know how much Tony's in the hours, but it's not not possible. Yeah, because Viola Davis was nominated for Doubt, right? Yeah, and then um, Beatrice Strait won for Network, which was, I think, seven minutes, like very wow. short. So it happens, but now, I mean, it's just very, very unlikely, which is why it's good that Michelle Williams is... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We're keeping tabs. Now. Yeah, <laughs> which is why it's good. Michelle Williams is running in lead for the Fablemans. The Fablemans. Okay. We can. We'll talk about that next week. Put a pin in that. Would Michelle Williams have been good in Chicago? I think so. Yeah. Well, uh, Michelle Williams has been in Chicago. The one from Destiny's Child. <laughs> right. right. She right, played. Right, right. She played Roxy Hart at one point. <laughs> Maybe she would have been a bit young for the film twenty years ago, but I don't know. I will say. I think Catherine Zeta-Jones is amazing in Chicago. She is like a cannonball being fired out of a cannon. I mean, every scene is electric. I really think she's fantastic in this film. Like, it's one of probably one of my favorite Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins. Like, I'm waiting for her to come back into the story. I want more for Velma, even though I feel like it's a good balance of what material they give to her although they did they did cut a song that she sings with um the mama morton character that's towards the end of the show which slows down the pace to be honest with you i understand why it's not in the film um it also slows down the stage show but she's amazing in this movie Mm -hmm. i really am gagged for her and the dancing i mean her singing is good her american accent always makes me giggle a little bit but it's Mm -hmm. it's iconic (laughs) Yeah, I agree. You guys like one of my favorite things about her doing this movie is I guess they had originally wanted to put her in a longer haired wig and she demanded or, you know, insisted, maybe we'll say, that she be in a short cropped bob because she wanted it to be certain without a doubt that she was hitting every single move of the choreography and that there was no sort of a body double throughout the movie oh Oh, wow love that I love that so much Mm -hmm. I mean she is also here one of my favorite supporting actress winners ever because I do feel like not only do I just love the Velma character but I love what she does with the role she is so commanding in every single moment that she's on screen I don't think she has a single false note in the movie. Like everything that she's doing is exactly right. And it's also surprising and fun. Like this is a performance that you can't take your eyes off of. And even like at the end of the film, when she and Roxy are performing together, I find myself not really looking at Roxy at all. Like Mm -hmm. I am fully focused on Velma the entire time. 100%. That's why this just gags me that at the Globes, Zeta Jones and Zellweger were both in lead and Zellweger took it because the entire movie, I kind of don't care about (laughs) Roxy's character. And I don't know if that's because of Renee. I think she's the perfect fit for Roxy, but I don't necessarily love maybe the character or the characterization. But I think it's also just because Catherine Zeta is just electric. She hits every single move. 
and everything she does with her body, like from that opening to cell block tango and all the jailhouse scenes, like, yeah, you can't take your eyes off her and probably, you know, like the makeup and the costumes and all of that adds into it. But, you know, this movie starts and we're following her after she has murdered her sister and her husband. I mean, that's how you get into this world of Chicago. Mm -hmm. It's like through her and you want to just keep learning more and more about her. And the way she tells the guy with the spotlight to like nudge over the light to her, like it's only Mm -hmm. her performing tonight. I'm just like, oh, I love she just fits the role so well. She knows what she's doing and she commands the screen. Was it a surprise that she won the Oscar then? The interesting thing about Miramax, again, is that Renee Zellweger was sort of a Miramax priority, which is, I think, part of the reason why she won at the Globes. She wasn't up against Nicole Kidman, who ran in drama in lead. Ah. But then I think what's interesting is that Weinstein knew he had this big property the next year starring both of them, Nicole Kidman and Renee Zellweger in Cold Mountain. And that she was going to be in the running for supporting actress then. So I think he sort of, he thought probably like, let's hold off on her now and get her the Oscar next year, put all of the resources behind Nicole and then push Catherine Zeta-Jones in supporting instead. Hmm. But I think, I mean, I think you could make the case that Renee Zellweger and Catherine Zeta-Jones, like Velma and Roxy are co-leads, but also I'm never bothered by Catherine Zeta-Jones being in supporting like it doesn't feel like category fraud to me like her performance Mm -hmm. is one of those that I think is supporting like it is ultimately Roxy's story through most of it I'm very happy that that she won yeah me too well that's an interesting point because I guess the way I read it is in to Nick's point that like opening scene when we see Velma performing and then it cuts back and you see that Roxy's watching and then hypothetically the rest of the movie, every time we're cutting away to those vaudeville performances in the theater, it's probably Roxy imagining the scenes. Like, is that how you guys read it? That it's like happening in her head kind of from her point of view. She's, you know, the, if this is orange is a new black, she's Piper entering the prison. She's, (laughs) she's the Taylor Schilling of of the Cook County jail um, in this, but yeah. Cause otherwise why else would they have her show her watching Velma at the beginning other than, well, I guess it's a full circle moment that, okay, spoiler territory. They end up having their own duo act by the end, but yeah. She wants to be famous though. Like that's her whole thing is she wants to be a star like her. And that's why she's with the delicious Dominic West as a uh, Fred Casely, because she thinks he's going to be able to help her be famous. And Nick, to your point, I think that Velma, we don't see her do the killing whereas we see roxy actually kill fred casely and so it's sort of mm-hmm. like she's despicable and then she's lying in her we see her sweet husband get totally hoodwinked before our eyes and then she's just bratty that whole scene whereas velma maintains this ferociousness and even mm-hmm. when she poses for the cameras and the the police that are all coming in at the end of her number all that jazz she maintains that she's she's just an icon you know throughout the whole thing and then the way she <laughs> mm-hmm walks around the prison it continues Jen Shaw will be running that prison yard just like Velma did let me tell you <laughs> yeah Velma has all this confidence but it's interesting how that plays to the audience because I feel like as Roxy you know she's driven to murder because she feels hurt and disgusted and 
I feel like we should connect more to her as viewers. Yeah. But I don't know if that necessarily happens. Yeah, I, th- I think my one complaint about Chicago, if I'm comparing it to another great Fosse production cabaret, is that I don't feel the heart of Renee's Roxy at all compared to Liza Minnelli as Sally Bowles. Yeah. There, like, I, f- I feel like in cabaret we get this vulnerability with that character. And even when she's making bad decisions or you don't understand her, you are with her the whole time. And I just don't ever feel that about Roxy at all. Um, I sort of observe these characters from a distance and I have fun with them. But Roxy, she doesn't have anything that makes me connect to her on a deeper level. I don't know how much of that is is Renee Zellweger, though, who I have just personally never connected with as an actress. Yeah, not even in Bridget Jones. That might be the one. Okay. Because I, I, yeah. I had the same thought, Sophia. And I was like, uh-huh. I do love Bridget Jones' diary. I do miss her old face as well, which I know I, I was, I had that line in the can ready for this recording, but <laughs> I feel like she does a good job in the film. I, I think she mm-hmm. does a really good job as Roxy. Her singing is good. Like I, 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 when she sings Funny Honey, which is randomly my like new favorite song, She's good. Like, I don't think she was miscast in any way. Like, I think she, in my opinion, does deserve a nomination. Like, her performance holds up. But when she's next to Catherine, like you said, can't take my eyes off of CZJ. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's okay. Because for the hot honey rag at the very end, Velma is the seasoned professional who's now, you know. And would Mm -hmm. Velma want someone who matches her talent to be in her duo act? I don't think so. Yeah, and because Roxy just wants to be famous, so mm-hmm. she's willing to, in my eyes, like pair up with anyone who mm-hmm. could help her get there. Yeah, but also, yeah, Velma would never want someone as good as her next right. to her. Yeah, <laughs> um, just for what it's worth, the at the Tonys, they're both considered lead actresses when this production, both in the original and the revival. So, I feel like the Tonys don't fraud as much as the Oscars. No, it's harder to. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really good point. Well, and that happened with Viola Davis with Fences, too, right. when she won supporting at the Oscars, was lead at the Tonys. Yeah. Which is crazy. Clearly, that it's the lead performance. She is right. the lead female performance of Fences. Which, okay, <laughs> we're, we're not going to do this now, but that's my dose of drama, I guess. On a Chicago episode, <laughs> I'm feeling passionate about Viola's category fraud, but ugh, maybe it's because I feel like she should have. A leading actress Oscar. And that's why I'm yeah, fired up about should. it. But mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting because Viola could have been good in Chicago. Like, I mean, she could be good in anything, mm-hmm. but not to switch gears too much into a different performance. But I think Queen Latifah is also really good in this movie. I love her <laughs> nomination for this movie. I think it's incredible. I know it doesn't happen too often where two actors from the same movie are nominated in the same category. But I love that Queen Latifah was taken seriously enough in this movie, I mean, granted, we haven't seen her get nominated for an Oscar since, but or I Catherine she... Zeta Jones has been nominated yeah. since, or it's John always... C. Riley. It's always <laughs> weird when that happens, but anyway. But I think that she is perfect. I mean, she's commanding. <laughs> she plays the softness, and she's really, really great in this movie. When the scene pops up, when um, Velma goes into Mama's office and she all of a sudden has like the tight blonde Roxy hairstyle, <laughs> oh, I giggled. I really did. <laughs> <laughs> So fun. I feel like with Queen Latifah, for me, like this is 
probably the best she's been in a movie, at least especially in the scene when you're good to mama. Like that, I feel like Mm -hmm. is just naturally her peak in the movie. Mm -hmm. And I do think that some people for sure could just see this as sort of one of those nominations that is like a carryover. Like when, when the Academy really loves a movie, sometimes they will, you know, give out an additional nomination and supporting. We saw Mm -hmm. it last year with Jesse Plemons for Power of the Dog. Yeah. I do think she is she's great, and I I always have to remind myself though never to never to compare her to Catherine Zeta Jones in the category because mm-hmm. it's just a losing game. But I also do like her nomination. Yeah, okay, what about so a fun. world where we have Catherine and Renee in lead, and then we've got we still have Queen Latifah in supporting, but we get Christine Baranski in there as Mary Sunshine. <laughs> I think she is a secret weapon of this film, you guys. She really is. She's a secret weapon of everything, though. Yeah. Like, if she isn't <laughs> my favorite Chris, um, if she isn't every, <laughs> if That's she's good. in any movie, she takes it up a notch, I think. Mm-hmm. Mamma Mia. The Dolly amazing. Christmas movie. Yes. Oh, <laughs> not Christmas on the Square. <laughs> She's a movie musical um, staple at this point. She was in Into the Woods. She I don't think a- you consider it a musical, but Martha May Huvier in uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Right, right. Mm-hmm. On the Christine Baranski note, I think something that's kind of interesting about the stage version against the film is that this role is typically played by a man. And I don't know, Nick, I don't know if you knew that in the his because you haven't seen it yet. But Sophia, did you remember that from when you saw it on stage? Mary Sunshine is a man. Yeah. And but it's meant to be very, very much a gag reveal at the end because this notion of not everything is as it seems and it pays tribute to the idea of there's was usually a drag performer in vaudeville for the comedy aspects of it. But it, in the final courtroom scene, Billy Flynn typically pulls off Mary Sunshine's wig and the audience gasps and they've actually just updated that for the current version. Angelica Ross felt that using sexuality as a gag wasn't funny and she's obviously a trans actress in it. So she had they she gave the suggestion that Mary remove her own wig as a moment of empowering revelation. And so I think that works too. I think obviously having I'm not gonna complain that Christine Baranski's in the movie and it doesn't take away that plot line of everything not being as it seems. But Christine was asked about it in an interview. And she said that she did regret taking the role away from a gay man or you know, a, a male soprano. Hmm. But she said that secretly, she imagines that her Mary Sunshine is a lesbian in, in the 1920s. And that's her way of nodding to being part of the queer community. Hmm. Yeah. I love Christine Baranski. <laughs> Me too. Okay. She's she never misses. The Mary Sunshine does have a song in the musical that they cut from this, obviously. It's, it's like a big high soprano number. I think it's called A Little Bit of Good. Yeah, I love all of these performances. I think that it's a female-led cast is wonderful especially starting a new century this way like at the oscars is really interesting we're moving like i mentioned before with this resurgence of movie musicals and you talk about like this added oscar nom being queen latifah i think she stands as her own performance like i think that's worthy of getting in i think the added nom is for john c Riley, and Mm -hmm. we also need to talk about the lack of nom for Richard Gere, which is also mm-hmm. famously my least favorite part of this movie. Yeah. Mm. I think John is good, but he has like a really small role. And this does really, really feel like the Jesse Plemons edition, like from Power of the Dog. 
you know, he's there, he's used by Roxy over and over and over again. And he just kind of goes on and on. And at the very end, he's almost like our dim, dull character from Banshees. Except um, he doesn't have those gorgeous eyebrows. <laughs> I just like, think of him as an Eeyore in this movie. It's so sad. He's so sad. In in the Broadway musical, he's viewed to be maybe as the sympathetic heart of the show. But, I mean, in in the movie, I do think he does well with Mr. Cellophane. That number is so sad, but, mm-hmm. you know, kind of mm-hmm. catchy. But I first, I, I think I first I, heard that number in the pilot of Glee when Kurt sings it. Yes, do you, you guys me too? too. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I still think of that as a Glee song. Yeah. Is, it's unfortunate how that goes sometimes. Well, not to interrupt you guys, but while we're on the topic of Glee, I will say there is another Chicago performance on Glee of Leah Michelle and my problematic fave Gwyneth Paltrow doing Hot Honey Rag. So if is you it, haven't seen it. Is it Gwen or is it Kate Hudson? It's Gwen. When she's their substitute teacher, she randomly does this, like, full performance with um, Leah, and it's really good. (laughs) As a Miramax um, Oscar winner, I'm surprised GP wasn't in the running for any of the roles in this film, but perhaps she'd been been done with... um, Harvey at this Ooh, point. She would have been I was going to say, you'll, you'll hear all the Harvey drama in She Said. Okay, interesting. I'm going Thursday. But, um, I agree, Nick. I think that John C. Riley might be the dragged along nominee there. Like, do you think he just got in for Mr. Cellophane? I know he's performing in the rest of the movie, but this is his big moment. No, I think he's kind of memorable, but my choice for, the, for acting that year would have been Christopher Walken and Catch Me If You Can in Supporting mm. Actor. Let me plead yeah. for Richard Gere. I'll join you. I love him in this. Ooh. You love him, Sophia? Yeah, I do. <laughs> well, I'll always have a crush, so maybe I'm like <laughs> me too. blinded. <laughs> Nick, as tends to happen on these recordings, Again, I'm with we... you. I'm with you. <laughs> Connor and I always have a crush on like a dad. <laughs> oh, totally. <laughs> he has this twinkle in his eye that is so undeniable. I mean, I think he's great in this movie. I really, really do. I... I feel like it was his last great performance that we got in the last, you know, he hasn't been in anything memorable since, which is sad, but he, he should have been nominated. He really should have. Yeah. I, so for John C. Riley, the interesting thing about him this year is that he's actually in three best picture nominees of the five. Whoa. He was also in the hours and in gangs of New York. So I feel like he was just on the voters minds. Yeah. And that I think does sort of go along with your carryover nominee idea nick like queen latifah i think sort of feels like that somewhat because she's in the same Mm -hmm. category as another but the mama morton character is maybe more iconic in chicago but i do feel like it does i think make sense that he got in considering like the competition and just how on the brain he was at the time i feel like in the dramatic moments too he is quite good like i i'm never taken out of the movie by him especially because sometimes that is how it goes for me in movie musicals when film actors are in these roles. Sometimes I'm like, I always think like, oh, I wish you could sing a little bit better or you could kind of understand the dramatic effect that this character is supposed to have. Thinking of like Russell Crowe and Les Mis or like anyone in that movie who isn't Aaron Tveit. Yes. Um, <laughs> Period. <laughs> But yeah, I, I think with Richard Gere, for me, he I don't he just is Billy Flynn. You need someone like him, like American Gigolo later to play 
the Billy Flynn part. And I do think he is the weakest singing. He is sort of cranked up to a 15 in some of his songs. (laughs) But I do do like him in the dramatic moments a lot. And yeah, I'm sad that he didn't get a nomination, especially because everyone else did. That is sad. Yeah. It's odd. I wonder who would have been better. I mean, I know that... They had originally wanted Hugh Jackman, and I guess he was approached multiple times. But I think he was maybe young, and also he's mm-hmm. so charismatic and charming. It's my same issue with him as Harold Hill in The Music Man, is that it's sort of hard, would have been hard to buy into him as being a smarmy lawyer in that movie. Mm-hmm. And I guess some, some director at some point wanted Michael Jackson in that role, which to me would have been a yeah. miss, a big miss. Rob, Rob Marshall wanted Michael Jackson. Like, what? Whoa. Thank God he wasn't. Can you imagine what a catastrophe that would have been? <laughs> it would Total have taken the spotlight away from the, the women. Absolutely, That's an entirely different movie. I don't think this would have won Best Picture if Michael Jackson was in it. Just Agree. saying that. Totally. Um, you know who would be great as Billy Flynn? I mean, I hope they don't remake Chicago, but if he was the right age at the time... Ryan Gosling would be amazing in that role. I love him. We we know he can do a musical. He did La La Land. So mm-hmm. I think he'd be great. I like the character of Billy. I like that, you know, immediately Roxy's trying to offer what she thinks he wants. And he's not interested in, in sex from her. He's interested in... He, he has a different kind of power that she can't quite... She, she's not used to being able to not get what she wants from a man. So I really like that dynamic. And I love... We both reach for the gun. It's just so fun. I don't know. He he really has razzle-dazzle to me. <laughs> he does. I agree. I thought you were going to say Jacob Elordi, Connor. <laughs> I would love that. I mean, I think Sydney Sweeney could be really fun as Roxy, but... <laughs> and Zendaya could honestly be Velma. Like, they wouldn't be as, as Euphoria good. High so could put on Chicago. <laughs> Sam Levinson would. <laughs> have y'all y'all watched Schmigadoon on Apple TV? It's like that Mm-mm. musicalized. It's like a silly TV show, musical series. Their next season is called Schmicago, and it's going to be about oh. like a Chicago type parody. We'll see how that mm-hmm. goes. But Aaron Tveit is in the cast, so maybe he'll be a Billy Flynn mm-hmm. type role. He could he could be Billy Flynn. Yeah, I would. I'm surprised. It, you know, if his career hadn't gone so up, they would have mm-hmm. probably asked him to do it at some point. Yeah. Wait, why don't you think Richard Gere should have been nominated? I just don't think that his voice worked. And if you, for for me, you should not be nominated for a movie musical if you're not talented, like singing wise. Mm -hmm. And I like, I don't know, maybe that's me being such a a theater snob, but it just doesn't track for me. And also, I just don't love him at all times. So I think they could have gone a more interesting route. Like, at the time, Queen Latifah was an interesting choice for Mama Morton mm-hmm. because it was a surprisingly inclusive choice as well. But the role had rarely been played by black women because you look back to the 1920s, there's no way that this mm-hmm. character would have been black. But the suspension of disbelief. And it also works with the vaudeville aspect of it all, of there being this talented woman singer, like a Bessie Smith type role, maybe. Mm. That's interesting because she's mostly played by black women on Broadway now. Now. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't tell you the last time it was a white woman. Also, I think Lucy Liu is great in her small role. Oh, yes. <laughs> so good. I think it's a great cast. Tay Diggs, you know, he he gets the job done. You know, they don't give him much to do. But I like at the end when um, 
Roxy's singing nowadays and it kind of cuts away and you see the Tay Diggs role sitting there at the piano as like the rehearsal pianist for the the audition. I think I thought that was kind of a cute moment that kind of took you out of it but brought you back in and you're again not everything is as it seems is what you're seeing on stage and on screen so very cool. Yeah, I think in the essence of musicals, you're performing to the back of the theater. And while Richard Gere's acting, I think is fine. I think he's playing it too flamboyant all the time. And that's why I wasn't really convinced by him. He's a great actor, but I think musically it, I agree with Dylan. Like it didn't work for me. It was like he had too fake of a glisten in his eye the entire time. And he can be pretty all he wants and convincing as this smarmy lawyer but there's something about it that just really turned me off and I was just focusing on everybody else in the movie yeah I mean when my mom watched the movie this weekend with us she said he's really bad about Richard Gere (laughs) (laughs) I I agree with her I'm remembering now that I also had read that John Travolta was approached for this and he was courted for years and years and years and years after his Mm -hmm. era of musicals to sort of return to the screen and Mm -hmm. I think that he actually would have been really good in this you know, obviously yeah. he didn't return to a musical until he did Hairspray a few years later, mm-hmm. but maybe he needed to be convinced that musicals were going to be legit again. I know that, Nick, you mentioned that this sort of ushered in the legitimacy of movie musicals again, and it might have been a risk for someone to do this. He's known for being yeah. Danny and Grace, you know? Wait, that's so interesting, because I was reading about like all the different celebs that have done the roles on Broadway, and Maxwell Caulfield, who played the lead in Grease 2, played Billy mm-hmm. Flynn on Broadway. I love that. You know who could do it now? Adam Driver. <laughs> he, he could. He'd be great. <laughs> he could. Oscar totally. Isaac would be great. Oh. I wanted to say Bradley Cooper again. Yeah. I don't know if he's sparkly enough, though. No, I think I think he definitely has that the right look, though, to play him. I just don't know if he can sing. Oh, Star is Born. Duh. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, you're not thinking that's Bradley, Sophia, because he really no, was Jackson Maine. Jackson Maine. Maine. <laughs> he really was. <laughs> Now I'm Speaking thinking about of, Gaga. In Gaga Chicago. would be amazing. Oh, Gaga in Chicago. She would be Velma, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, I was like, yeah, she would. Allie, she Allie would be Roxy though. Okay, yeah. okay. Allie Maine. <laughs> in in the in the world of A Star Is Born, Allie Maine would eventually replace as Roxy on Broadway uh-huh. for sure. There's no question. <laughs> Why didn't he win an Oscar for that performance? Did we talk about this on the West Side we Story can't. episode? I think we did, but <laughs> it's criminal that he didn't. I, I talk about it at least once a week, so yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, Billy Flynn's, I guess, a tricky role as we're as we're talking about it. Um, a, a very dynamic character, and I don't know if anyone's really nailed it. Like in performances, well, that I've... number that he does, Razzle Dazzle, sort of could serve as like a thesis statement for the musical in general about you just want to entertain everybody and and that's how you're able to succeed in life and i do think he delivers that well and i could see hugh jackman doing that now i guess now that i'm thinking about it because he did greatest showman and his role in that was sort of that ringleader guy but that's not who billy is the whole movie you know with michelle williams yeah with michelle williams absolutely (laughs) i I cannot (laughs) this is ultimately about her (laughs) I think once you see the sun, though, you'll understand why he can't be in this performance, though. Per your review, I will not be seeing the sun. Sophia can't wait. Per Nick's review, I need to see the sun. Y'all have convinced me not to see Blonde or the sun based on things you've said, so. Anna to Armis in Chicago. Could she do she it? She doesn't deserve. <laughs> 
I do love the idea of a Latina actress playing Velma, though, because of the legacy of Cheetah originating the role. Mm-hmm. And Cheetah appears in the film. When um, Roxy is first admitted into the prison, there's an older prisoner sitting down next to her, and she goes, just make sure you do whatever you can to get in good with Mama. That's Cheetah Rivera. In that how, how did I miss oh this? Oh my god. She has like really a really distracting long wig. <laughs> wow, I'm so glad they put her in. Yeah. That's always so fun. There's huh. a few Broadway appearances in the movie. Tay Diggs, obviously, who he did play Billy on Broadway. And then in the cell block tango, a few of the the Merry Murderesses are Broadway vets. At least two of them. The cat this this feels like such a fun show to like Dreamcast or put people into. Maybe it's because we've seen it done in so many different ways on stage. But mm-hmm. and as we're coming up with alternate casting, it's it's almost like no, I'm basically fine with the cast they settled on. You know, like you guys have swayed me a little bit away from Richard Gere as he's been talking, but I can honestly be swayed in any way at, at all times. Usually, um, but otherwise, like it's it's great. There's a reason I've revisited the film so many times. Mm-hmm. And I know you guys have brought up like some of your favorite numbers from the show or from the movie, but what are some of your favorite, like other favorite scenes or favorite songs? My absolute favorite is We Both Reached for the Gun. I think it is such a brilliantly done number with the marionettes and Christine Baranski flying in the air while she's singing high notes. It's <laughs> so good. And honestly, it, Renee does a really good job of doing the, the lip syncing as like the puppet in that moment. I absolutely love that number. And then Cell Block Tango, I can't believe we haven't really mentioned it much today. (laughs) It is so good, especially when Velma comes in at the end with with her moment. And the way that they use the scarves to represent blood or maybe guilt, it it is just so, so good. I feel like it's one of the things people maybe think about when they think about Chicago as well. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. I feel like that's the first thing that people think of Mm -hmm. when they think of Chicago. I know like even when I saw it on Broadway, that was the song I was looking forward to most Mm -hmm. just to see what it would look like and what it would sound like in a theater. Yeah. I feel like (sighs) the way that they, they stage it and just the lyrics and how like each woman sort of gets her moment and you want to find out what she did and how she did it is so, so much fun. Uh huh. And I bet you there are a lot of them are based on real crimes too. Knowing Mm -hmm. the way that Kander and Ebb wrote a lot of this. It's so weird because, okay, I I haven't mentioned this yet. And I I can't believe none of us have talked about this. But in the age of true crime being so explosive, it's amazing to Mm -hmm. think back to, like, even when this came out in the 70s, like, people were still obsessed with true crime back then. Like, the whole thing is about people being obsessed with these murderers. Like, that's wild. It's wild. And getting fan mail. Like Ted Bundy would and other scary people I don't want to mention on the pod. (laughs) Yeah. I have a note about that because I feel like now, especially too with like true crime podcasts, it is sort of a thing that women especially like. There are a lot of true crime shows that are hosted by women, like My Favorite Murder, Mm -hmm. Crime Junkie, anything like that. Like they sort of collect these fan bases that are predominantly women and, and to think that it has just always been there and again like that overlap with celebrity criminals and how you make criminals famous i mean every like ryan murphy series every little hbo miniseries that we have it's all about either a fictional or based on a real killer i feel like wow yeah so true but cell block tango reminded me of that just like how Mm -hmm. it's a great world building moment too of we have this one song that introduces us to like several of the different prisoners that we all have here. And I don't know, I love 
in musicals when there's numbers that are performed or sung by characters that aren't the leads. Like, it's, I don't know, it feels mm-hmm. nostalgic at this point, because now musicals don't really do that. I mean, I can't think of a good example of that in the last 20 years of original musicals, but I don't know, it's such a great number. I love, 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 nowadays and Hot Honey Rag. It really just gets me. It's an amazing finale. Um, and they they slay the, the choreo. I could watch that again and again and again. And I've been to, like, drag queen musical nights and they always play that on the tv and people just love it it's really great um and when you're good to mama so great the whole score is amazing i mean bop Bop, after bop bop, bop. and i I mentioned this earlier but (laughs) funny honey is randomly my favorite song right now and it's the renee version i don't have an answer for it i don't i don't know how to explain but it's been stuck in my head and i called dylan this morning i was just singing it to him and he was startled mm-hmm. but then he sort of texted me like an hour later and it was the lyrics to the song so <laughs> this is like when you loved natalie wood on our west side story episode it's true it's true and i do stand always by comes in hot with weird takes. i stand by my love of her on this one <laughs> Whereas Rachel has fallen for me, but... What are y'all's favorite numbers? I mean, I think, like, Cell Block Tango is just iconic, and I do love it, but I agree with you with the finale. Like, I just, I feel like nowadays, Hot Honey Rag, that is just the perfect way to end this movie. And it does, I do feel like this show, compared to other Fosse productions, this particular movie is a bit sanitized for me the end sort of does jack up the grittiness and a little bit of the sex appeal that i was looking for i think a little bit more in the show so i really do like that one i mostly love the introduction and by that i mean like the first four songs we get i think it's just like you said dylan like bop after bop subblock tango is a show tune staple (laughs) it's so fun Mm-hmm. Have have either of you have any of you been to the Pines when they do show tunes Sundays? I mean, again, this is like also any gay bar. That... Famously, never been invited to Fire Island, but yeah. <laughs> Same. I've heard it at Marie's Crisis. Yep, many okay. times. Yeah, but it's like once the video starts playing, everyone just scrambles. There are people running up on the stage and being like, "Okay, I'm gonna play her. I'm I'm this. I'm that," and you have everybody like it astonishes me every time that they know the lyrics they know the moves like these people have been studying it for their entire lives and they know it by heart but it is so much fun and i think the editing in the movie really works so well the lighting like you said also dylan the the scarves as the blood and the red lighting i think it all is just so heightened and then yeah we have valma finishing this up with her story and I just can't get enough. Like the choreography here especially is incredible. I love the design with the jail cell in the background. Again, the red lighting everywhere. It's stripped down, but it's also just so beautiful and exuberant. And again, it's like it comes very early in the movie, which I think surprises me. But from there, like we just you don't stop. Um, Another one of my favorites is... We both reach for the gun, mostly because we see Billy as this puppeteer and he is controlling everything. And I think that's where the message of this movie is really reinforced. And I love a quote that he says here. It's, 
it's all a circus, this trial of the world, it's all show business mm-hmm. that I think encapsulates mm-hmm. the cynicism of the movie and initially in the 75 musical, why audiences didn't really like it because it was just so dark and harsh. Mm-hmm. But I think that plays on the celebrity of everything really well and why modern culture really loves this and why it won Best Picture. I think that number two in the movie is why it's such a good movie musical adaptation. Like they, I feel like in that scene in particular, they really are using a lot of directorial tricks and the medium itself to actually make it feel like a film and not just feel like the stage version on screen. Right, because it's they they go between diegetic and non-diegetic, sort of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting the way that they do that. Cabaret, the movie, also borrows that, and I think that's why people maybe take this movie seriously and took Cabaret seriously. I think the thing that's most jarring for the average viewer of a movie musical is, oh my god, why are they randomly singing? Like people just don't mm-hmm. understand that, or they get it's very jarring. It's not in this because that first, as Nick, you mentioned, the way that we're entering the world with that first number, all that jazz, it's a performance. And then we just accept them all as being performances. Even the ending, which is the only number that takes place on a different stage than the one that we were watching throughout. Yeah, I do think establishing that is important. And I, yeah, I love, I mentioned this on our Cabaret episode too. One of the reasons I love that movie so much is because of that back and forth that you have you're not just like fully locked into like watching a performer on a stage for the duration of a song you actually get to see like what is happening in their real life while you're also watching the performance on the stage great editing it's amazing y'all <laughs> i think it's probably like <laughs> i would say um like even in the theater community like people like it better than the stage show and i think it's arguably mm-hmm. considered the best movie musical like ever everyone thinks it's great i mean i can't think of another musical where people are like oh yeah the movie's better (laughs) i think the sound of music is is an example of that but i also think there's a lot of nostalgia with that movie for no that's a good point though yeah that's what i was wondering if you guys with your theater background and that perspective how you think of this as a movie musical compared to not just the stage version but to other movie musicals especially 21st century movie musicals like modern ones i think it's it's the best best. i mean i I don't know for some reason i keep thinking about this compared to les mis i I don't know why maybe because they were such big awards contenders um it's the only other broadway musical adaptation that was nominated for best picture in the last 20 years for some reason this just feels so much more accessible and revisit revisitable if that's a word gosh it's also interesting to think that Anne Hathaway won Best Supporting Actress for a movie musical performance, you know, several years after Catherine Zeta-Jones. That seems like the category. Yeah. As did Jennifer Ooh, Hudson. Ooh, yes. And Ariana wow. DeBose. Wow. Whoa. You guys are kind of sh- having me shake a little gag a little bit. You know, I-, I think that Hairspray is really amazing. Mamma Mia is really amazing. But I just think when you think about inventive filmmaking in cinema in general chicago just really takes the cake there's some movie musicals we don't ever need to talk about again like rent or the prom or (laughs) rock of ages but this this is such a legitimate musical i also think another part of it is none of the songs forward the story by any means 
they're all sort of just taking place within someone's POV of a feeling or a thought that they have. Whereas in musicals like Les Mis, they're singing back and forth to each other. The scene is going forward. It's, you know, they further the story. Whereas you could pull out all of the, the musical numbers from this and nothing would change about the story whatsoever. They would just be replaced by a couple of lines, you know? But mm-hmm. that's what makes it, it's what elevates it. It's why we sing because we can no longer speak. That's what the whole point of musicals are. So I think that's why what makes it really successful. Have you seen Oliver? Mm-hmm. Like the original <laughs> one? Know? The movie. So Chicago was the first musical since that to win Best Picture. And that was 34 years beforehand. Wow. I can remember. Yeah. I didn't know no. if you like knew that. I've only seen of, like, Oliver, Oliver and Company. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I've seen it. Maybe as a kid or something, but I don't remember. That's, please, sir. I want yeah. some more. Right? <laughs> Wait, also, <laughs> La La Land, movie musical, but not a stage to screen adaptation so perhaps in its own category mm-hmm. that that was that that was the best picture winner for like 30 seconds back then if you remember <laughs> of course how can we forget but <laughs> technically i mean would you say bohemian rhapsody or a star is born are movie musicals i don't know i, w- uh, I would say no. i would say i would say you could do that for a star is born mm-hmm. especially the most recent one but they both ran as dramas the whole award season. I feel like the same thing will happen this year with Elvis. Yeah. Like that will be a drama, not a musical. Um, that Whitney Houston biopic that's coming out. I want to dance with somebody. Yes. Respect was considered a drama. So I feel like if it is more of a biopic mm-hmm. or more of like a star is born, I guess is more of a dramatic story. That's mm-hmm. not centered around all of the musical numbers. She's just performing those. Yeah. As part that's, of her that's job. a good distinction. Right. Yeah. And I have a question for you twins relating the movie to the stage version they took out quite a number of songs from this movie Mm -hmm. so do you think that works or are there other differences that you find either jarring or that play really well i don't think so the only number that they did take out that i think really affects it or could have affected it would have furthered the role of mama and it's called class and it's another one of those numbers that sort of um, touches upon the major themes of the world they live in and, and you know, the whole razzle-dazzle of it all. But no, I think this is a rare example where the, no one was like, ah, oh, they cut this number. Mm. It was the best. You know, there was, I, I can't mm-hmm. think of anything like that for, in this example. So Same. Yeah. Good yeah. question. But it was just a really well done transfer to screen. I'm reading right now that class is filmed and it's a deleted scene on the movie and there's like an extended version where it's in there oh my god <gasps> that's why i miss dvds I if it's on YouTube. yeah well we got to get the netflix, <laughs> netflix. <DVDs>. right yeah <laughs> wow that's really interesting well i wonder if it's on the if it's on the soundtrack then there mm-hmm. is a great roxy number called me and my baby that's really fun for the musical and there it plays softly when roxy faints and says i'm fine i just hope the baby is okay you know that whole moment you know it's such a great moment but that you could kind of hear it in the background a little bit which is a nice inclusion we did get a fun question from the futurist about if we were casting our own versions of chicago which parts would we all play what do you guys think Uh, (laughs) sophia you are velma yeah Oh, thank totally. you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hmm. Is Connor Roxy? I think he would be. 
the least redeeming character in the film. And you're very eager like Roxy, and you have big dreams like Roxy. Yeah, okay. Dylan, your mama, no doubt. Yeah, like... definitely. <laughs> the supple bosom, the, uh. the, you know, that's you. You would run that prison yard. You really would. Mm-hmm. I'm glad someone said it so I didn't have to campaign for myself. <laughs> no, I was I was going to say that too. I can, I can picture our scene with Roxy's diary. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> Nick, I'm a little stumped. Nick's Fred Casely. <laughs> Nick? I'm dead in five minutes. Yeah, I, I don't think you're quite Billy Flynn. You know, I don't know if you're necessarily Amos either. You you could be the band leader because you do have a lovely radio voice. Or I could see you as Mary Sunshine. I would I would like that. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I think it's hilarious that we're assigning female roles to me and Dylan, but... Nick has the pick of all the male parts. I know. <laughs> but it feels right, so. Or, yeah, yeah, I think that works. I think so. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> what a fun question. So before we mentioned all of its nominations and wins, 13 nominations, do you guys think anything was snubbed? And I know, Connor, you mentioned you would ploy for Richard Gere getting a nomination. I would. I would. It just feels wrong that he's missing. And he's good. I think it's interesting, you know, in movie of performances, we have all these nominations and only one person wins. I think that's a lot of the politics of the Oscars, too. But just one win is just like surprising. And then all of the like technical elements get in. Mm -hmm. The tech wins are really good. I think just just saying here, like looking over like what this movie did end up winning. Colleen Atwood's costume design. I wouldn't have gone with anyone else there. Art direction. Those are great wins. Also, editing and sound, like getting both of those there. I, I do think this movie has like very inventive, quick, but not dizzying editing. Sometimes I think, especially in like Lerman movies, I get very thrown by the editing mm-hmm. because it's too much and I feel like I need to take an Excedrin. But here I don't feel that. So I do love most of the wins. The only thing I would add would be Richard Gere. I wish there was some sort of a a category for choreography. I know that a lot of movies Mm -hmm. don't necessarily have choreography. I mean, some of them maybe you could say it's like fight choreography or something like that. But I really think the choreo is phenomenal in this. Mm -hmm. Maybe a special Oscar. I like that. I wish there were categories that appeared on years that like there were enough movies eligible. Well, there is. There is is that case with musical. Okay. If you do have, I can't remember what the threshold is now, but if you do have a certain number of movies that would qualify, um, you could have a separate Oscar for them. Because I remember people thought that that might have been possible last year. With Annette. With the number of musicals that we had. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wait, I'm shook by that. I, I never knew. I never knew that either. Wow. That's so cool. I wonder if animated musicals would count for that. If they really wanted to push something. Because I don't think we would count Beauty and the Beast as a movie musical as much as we would count it as an animated feature. Yeah, so there is a category. It's technically existed since 2000. But it says, The category of original musical may be activated only by special request of the Music Branch Executive Committee to the Board of Governors in a year when the field of eligible submissions is determined to be of sufficient quantity and quality to justify award competition. Interesting. I wonder, I mean, that's still, like, vague, though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'd say, like, three would have to be up. 
Yeah. And the nominees, if it were a category, the nominees would be the composers, the lyricists. That's it. Not the director or producer. Okay. Which I, I actually, I like that. This is cool. Yeah. Y'all One are really maybe. smart is, when it comes to the Oscars. Is, okay, not to switch gears, <laughs> which I keep doing, but is Babylon a musical? I don't no, believe okay. so. I think it's like more of a comedy. What's been released of the score, though, is really yeah. good. Ooh. Interesting. Is Tara a musical? Anyways. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Apartment for sale. <laughs> <gasps> no, I feel like it really, the movie has, it got all the nominations it deserved. And you guys have have put me on the fence for Richard Gere. I, I, you know, if he was nominated, I would have been like, maybe he shouldn't have been, you know, I don't know. On the Mm -hmm. basis, Dylan, of your point, you and Nick, that his singing isn't amazing and it should probably be amazing. But as I was watching it too, I was thinking about like, gosh, what, what Catherine Zeta-Jones does in Chicago is so different than what say Julianne Moore does in the hours. So it, I know we can't Mm -hmm. like break down categories so specifically, but I don't know. It just feels like a different kind of performance. And it, it was the best one of the year as the Academy decided. But it's it's just interesting to think about like if there were if it were split in a way like they do, I guess, at the Globes, um, the formerly disgraced now p- potentially back on the uh, awards circuit. But yeah, wait, you know who I think could have been good as Velma? I don't know if the timing would have been right in 2002. Jennifer Lopez could have been fun in that mm. role. Hey. For sure. Yeah, I think so. She definitely has like the it factor. Who else who else do you guys and... think could be good in, in the in these roles? Like like if they were to remake it now, like who would you love? Ooh. I know we were joking about Jacob and Sydney and Zendaya, but <laughs> You know who would be a really good Billy Flynn actually? Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, oh yeah. Yes. And he can sing. Mm-hmm. Wow. He would be my first pick, mm. probably for that role. Oh, is this problematic if I say Brad Pitt? No. No. Can he sing? Can he? I don't know. Well, Richard Gere can't yeah. really either, so I don't <laughs> that's think true. that's a qualification. Brad would be great. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, now that would be a good choice. Maybe a few years too old, but maybe not. I think it would yeah. work. Yeah, why not? Hmm. I think that in today's world, they stuff these movie musicals, as we saw with like The Prom or things like that, with people mm-hmm. who you know, are the biggest names. I mean, I don't necessarily think that, like, anybody in this movie were the superstars that they, you know, it's, now you go see a musical because of the draw of the names, you know, Meryl, and I suppose, I don't know if anyone would consider James Corden a draw, but, you know, people like that are put into these movie musicals, so. I think we would get a singer is uh, Mm -hmm. Roxy or Velma, and we would probably get maybe like an Adele type for mama, but I, I don't know. It, it, it sort of is this precedent that it's a woman of color now. So maybe like an old, an old timey star, like Jennifer Lewis or Darlene Love. Charlie Ralph. Mm. I feel like the woman who was in, in the Heights, Melissa Barrera uh, uh, yeah. could be a good Velma. Yeah. Yeah. If we were doing it like a young, new, new Vanessa, people. Vanessa Hudgens. Version. Oh my god. <laughs> She'll do it at the Hollywood Bowl or something where they do like the stunt yeah. cast. <laughs> Vanessa Hudgens and Julianne Hoffman. Yeah. Wait, we joke, but that's actually probably the most realistic casting that's come up today. Mm-hmm. Um, what about Margot Robbie <laughs> as Roxy? Uh, can she sing either? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Every actress who is in the Madonna boot camp should be up for Velma. Oh my god. Alexa oh, yeah. Yeah. From Demi Euphoria. from Euphoria. Julia Garner. <laughs> For Roxy, she'd be good, actually. Anyway, 
We've been dreamcasting this yeah. whole time. I'm sorry. It's sorry. It's we been have. taking up so much of the <laughs> podcast. Okay. It's only been 20 years. I can't believe it's actually been 20 years since Chicago won Best Picture. But how do you think today's Academy would receive the movie? Do you think it would still do as well as it did then? Yes. I think especially with everything you mentioned earlier, Sophia, about true crime being so popular and the idea of celebrity has only gotten bigger and bigger. You know, we also have to think about the times we're in. I mean, we had a celebrity president who might be going to prison, hopefully going to prison at some point. Like it's, it feels really relevant despite being written the original version forever ago, you know? So I think it would do really, really well, especially because of the style. Agree. 100%. I at first wanted to say that it wouldn't, but we did just have La La Land and that was up for best picture and, you know, fighting for that top spot the entire race. So I kind of think it would too. And I don't really think six is too many Oscars either. Even 20 years later, I feel like we don't get huge numbers anymore and i think it would still fare similarly yeah and i think expanding the field now to 10 nominees it still does really well on a preferential ballot i think like i can't imagine voters ranking this that low in comparison to the other nominees because yes even though it is about murder it's fun like it's not some like downbeat sad depressing piece it is ultimately, I think, a joy to watch at the end of the day. Something kind of funny about where it lands on like a list is, you know, it's obviously, if it's alphabetical, it starts with a C. And when this came out the same year, a chorus line was really popular on Broadway. It was, they were, they competed and a chorus line ended up winning all of the Tonys that year. Chicago didn't win any in 1975, but it was Michael Bennett who directed a chorus line and was like very much behind it. He was sort of Fosse's contemporary and, I don't want to say rival necessarily, but they definitely had their own camps. And it was originally just called Chorus Line. And when he saw that Chicago was going to be in it and it was going to be below it on any alphabetical list, he added A to the beginning. So it was above Chicago. So it was a Chorus Line and then Chicago. Oh, my God. So petty. (laughs) I didn't know that. Incredible. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you could give this movie one Oscar, what would it be? Connor? And C comes before D. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I usually like to be a little spicy with this one, you know, my Natalie Wood um, West Side Story answer. But when I, the, the, one of the first things I knew about this movie was Catherine Zeta Jones winning for Velma. And I honestly can't imagine anyone else in this part at that time delivering that fantastic of a, of a performance as she did. So it's got to be Catherine Zeta Jones for Best Supporting Actress. Dylan, what do you think? I would give it Best Picture. I think the recipe is right. I would also give it to Catherine Zeta-Jones. Before I saw the movie, I knew about her. I remember, like, I don't know why these are the two things, but it was her and Mr. Cellophane that, like, really Mm. stuck out in my head. That tune, I guess, of the song. But, yeah, I mean, if I go back to this movie, she's the reason why. There are a lot of reasons, but she's the first. So... My answer is also Catherine Zeta-Jones for Best Supporting Actress. And I think it's because when I first started like going through the Oscars, looking at the movies, seeing the wins, I was like, how did she win for this? Like, I definitely had that attitude. And I, I don't know why I thought it was just overhyped. But ever since then, anytime I've rewatched it, or if I think about my favorite supporting actress performances... I think of how wrong that initial assessment was 
because this performance, this role is so demanding, like mentally, emotionally, physically. And she just, again, nails every single scene, every moment in the choreography, every song. And it's, again, she's what I think of when I think of the movie. So I have to give it to her. Okay, so that was our anniversary episode on Chicago, the 2002 Best Picture winner. Thank you both so much for joining us today. It's always incredible to have you here, and this was so much fun. I think maybe even more fun than the West Side Story episode. (laughs) I had more fun. I definitely had more fun. It's an honor to be on your podcast, you two. And we need to have you both on drama very soon. It's time. Yes, I would love that. Yes, thank you for having us on. I'm the number one Oscar Wilde fan, so it's it's an honor. Yeah, we have lots of ideas for a drama, so we're ready. <laughs> Love it. Very but yeah, good. thank you so much for coming. Yes. We'll have to yeah, I don't know what our next movie musical is gonna be or what we're gonna get next year. Wicked part one. Oh, gosh. oh my god. We should talk about Wicked. We should also <laughs> I think it would be sort of fun to talk about the return of the Golden Globes. That would yeah. be wait, that would be so fun. <laughs> That's my favorite award show. We, well it used to be, so uh, it's wild. Yeah, we'll have to have you guys on around then for sure. Well, tell all of our listeners where they can find the drama podcast, what your show is all about. I know they would love to hear. Sure. So drama, we are on all podcast streaming sites. Primarily, people find us on Apple and Spotify, but we're called Drama with Connor and Dylan McDowell, and it's a weekly chat show with people who make Broadway specifically or the theater world thrilling and spicy and amazing. And we sort of track through, we have like casual conversations with these actors, typically tracking through the moment that made them fall in love with the art form all the way into, you know, more modern topics. Like we talk about pop culture, we talk about love and theater and relationships, and we humanize people who I think, you know, on the topic of celebrity, oftentimes they're put up on a pedestal and we are in the midst of a refresh. So by the time this episode comes out, we're going to have brand new logo, brand new website, and we're going to be... You know, we release every single Wednesday, and typically it's always an, an interview-type chat, but we're once a month it's going to be just Connor and I chatting from now on. Oh. So it's just some exciting things going on over in drama. It'll be like Roxy and, and Velma's, you know, duo act at the end of Chicago, <laughs> but like once a month. Definitely. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And we're at The Drama Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, just so you can keep up with who the fun guests are that we have on. I love all of the fun questions that you ask them, like their <laughs> ring of keys moment or their daily dose of drama. <laughs> Thank you. We'll be asking you guys we have that. Fun. And next time on Oscar Wilde, we have our second award season release roundup. We will be talking about Bones and All, the new Luca Guadagnino film, The Fablemans, which we teased at the beginning of this episode. And she said this will be a good, good mix of movies to talk about i think as we head into award season yeah another group of award potential films that are coming out i know the fablemans will be wide for thanksgiving and i think it's the perfect movie to see with your family it's also very personal i think it's very different for spielberg we'll get to all of that next week but thank you all for listening thank you connor and dylan for being here listeners you can find us at oscar wild pod on twitter and instagram And you can also find us on our Patreon, where we have bonus content and different series at patreon.com slash Oscar Wilde. 
Thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you.